Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 370. It's titled, Should You Invest in Small and in Mid-Cap Stocks? I recently got two emails from members of Money for the Rest of Us Plus asking about investing in smaller and mid-sized companies. These companies are called small cap and mid cap, and cap stands for capitalization, which is a measure of the size of a publicly traded company. Capitalization is measured by the number of stock shares outstanding times the price. One of these members sent me a detailed spreadsheet that had performance taken from Morningstar of a number of different ETFs, comparing large-cap U.S. stocks, small-cap stocks, mid-cap, growth, value, momentum. I won't get into all that data, but one of the things is clear. Over the past decade, large company stocks have been fairly consistently outperforming small company stocks. If we go back over the past decade, small cap stocks have only outperformed large cap stocks on an annual basis four times. And mid cap stocks have outperformed large cap stocks only three times over the past decade. The other member was looking at performance of mid cap stocks versus large company stocks. And their question is the same. Has something fundamentally changed to which Large company stocks will consistently outperform mid-cap and small-cap stocks going forward. We're going to explore that question in today's episode. Let's first look at what the differences are between small-cap, mid-cap, and large-cap. Again, we're looking at market capitalization. Small-cap stocks are typically stocks that have a market capitalization between $300 million and $2 billion. Mid-cap stocks have a market cap between $2 billion and $10 billion. And then large-cap stocks would be stocks above $10 billion. Now, these are not firm rules. Every vendor index provider has different criteria. For example, the S&P 400 mid-cap index includes stocks with market capitalizations between $3.6 billion and $13.1 billion. Vanguard has different classifications. They consider small cap anything less than $6.5 billion and medium small to be between 6 and $14 billion. If we use Vanguard's classification, about 7.4% of U.S. stocks based on market capitalization or size, and that's what market cap is. It's really the size of the companies or the segment of the market as a percent of the total market. About 7.5% of the U.S. stock market 
is really in that small mid category of less than six and a half billion dollars. And another 6% or so would be between six and a half and $14 billion. As an institutional investment advisor, I got into that profession in the mid 90s. And our typical client was a university endowment. And I could go across many, many of our clients and they had similar portfolios. This was before there was a lot of allocation to private investments or alternative investments. A typical portfolio at that time would have 40% in U.S. large cap stocks, 10 to 15% in U.S. small cap stocks, 15 to 20% in non-U.S. stocks, and then 30% in bonds. So 70% stocks, 30% bonds, and generally there was an overweight to small cap. If we allocate 10 to 15% of the total portfolio to small cap, as a percent of the equity portfolio, it would have more than double the weight in small cap versus the major indices. Why did we do that? We did it because we thought small cap would outperform and that we could identify stock managers that could outperform, that they could get some type of informational edge to pick high-performing, outperforming small cap stocks. Now, the other problem with our portfolio construction is we were significantly underweight non-U.S. stocks. Right now, for example, about 40% of the world's market capitalization is non-U.S. stocks, close to 60% in U.S. stocks, and that's close to an all-time high. But back then, we were only putting 15 to 20% of our allocation in non-U.S. stocks. So we were significantly underweight versus the global stock market. That's called home country bias, having a greater comfort with stocks listed in your home market. Now, is it true that small cap stocks outperform large cap stocks over the long term? It is true. They do. But it's been a long time. And there are very long periods of both outperformance and underperformance. I found some data from Ned Davis Research where they compared the performance of the Ibbotson Small Company Total Return Index, which is a small cap index, to the S&P 500 Total Return Index, which is a large cap index. This data went back to 1933. What we see is over the long term, small cap stocks have outperformed large cap stocks by a meaningful amount. But Small cap stocks have trailed large cap stocks since 1983, if we go over that very long period. They have definitely trailed since 2011, which is similar to what the PLUS member found in the data that he provided. If we look from March 2011 through the first part of 2022, small cap stocks have returned 11% annualized versus 14.8% annualized for large cap stocks. Now, this has been a period of underperformance, but if we look at all the periods of underperformance, and I apologize, this data goes back to 1926. So all of those periods, during periods when small cap are underperforming, they've returned negative 1.6% annualized, the average return during underperforming periods. Whereas the average return when large cap is outperforming small cap, large caps return 9.6% annualized on average. 
If we look at periods when small cap has outperformed, small cap returned on average 25.9% annualized versus 11.2% annualized for large cap stocks. The range of returns for small cap is wider than large cap because small cap stocks are more volatile. And we'll look at some theoretical data for why that is. The last time small cap has outperformed large cap stocks was from 1999 to 2011. And small caps returned 8% annualized versus 2.3% annualized for large cap. The takeaway then is small cap has outperformed large cap, but we've been in an extended period of small cap underperformance. Now, back in the 90s, as an advisor, our rationale for picking small cap managers, active small cap managers, was they could do better than indexing it, just buying a passive small cap index. I pulled the the latest active passive barometer by Morningstar. What Morningstar does is they look at the performance of active funds in different categories and compare them to passive funds and ETFs. And if we look at longer term, most active managers trail. Looking back at the last decade, for example, depending on the style, a blend, a value, and growth, only about 11 to 19% of large cap managers have outperformed comparable passive indices. About 10 to 14% of value or blended strategies in the mid-cap have outperformed a comparable passive ETF. And 12 to 13% of U.S. small value and small blend have outperformed a passive manager, a passive ETF. Now, one of the interesting exceptions is over the past decade, mid-cap growth and small-cap growth, about 43% of those managers have outperformed a passive ETF. That's a passive small-cap growth ETF or a passive mid-cap growth ETF. And over the past three years, most active small and mid-cap managers, 60% or more, have outperformed a passive vehicle that's investing in small-cap growth. I believe that's because the active growth managers are investing in more momentum-oriented stocks, stocks that are seeing fast price appreciation. And they're picking the right stocks. They're outperforming. We'll see in this episode that there is a momentum aspect of markets that's been quantified by academics. We've done episodes on it. But it's interesting that in the small cap and mid-cap growth space, active managers have done comparably much better than bland or value managers. Now, one of the members put forth a theory on why large cap is doing better than small cap. And he felt that because companies, private companies, venture capital-backed companies, are staying private longer, that when they do initial public offerings, issue public stock for the first time and start trading on a stock exchange, they're already large cap stocks. And as a result, the new companies are not small in mid cap. And so those indices don't benefit from those companies. There is data on IPOs updated annually by Jay Ritter. He's a professor of finance at the University of Florida. And what he found is of all of the venture capital-backed initial public offerings, so there's a venture capital firm that's invested in a startup 
They have helped the startup grow, and then they want to take the startup public. There's been about 3,500 venture capital-backed IPOs in the U.S. since 1980. And the average market capitalization, again, that's the number of shares outstanding times the price, that's the market cap, about $881 million. So it's a small cap stock. That's on average going back to 1980. If we look at the IPOs, venture capital-backed, over the past five years, there's been 468 of them. The average market cap of those IPOs is $3.2 billion. So they're mid-cap stocks. They're not large. Now, some of them may have been large, but on average, they're mid-cap. Last year, there were 153 IPOs at an average market capitalization of $4 billion, so even larger. But again, they're mid-cap. So it is true there are less small-cap IPOs. And it's also true that your typical IPO has been private longer. The average age of the company that went public, venture capital-backed, since 2014 is 11 to 13 years. Whereas over that entire time frame of 1980 to 2021, it's been eight years. So it's not true that the outperformance of large cap versus small cap is based on the IPO market. One of the big differences that leads to outperformance of one segment versus another is how valuations are changing. If we look at the median forward price to earnings ratio of small cap versus large cap, and again, we've been in a period of 10 years where large cap has outperformed, the differential is as big as it's been since really the year 2000, the last time that large company stocks significantly outperformed small cap. We're looking again at the median forward price to earnings ratio. So this is based on estimated earnings going forward and what investors are willing to pay for those earnings. The forward PE of large company stocks in the U.S. is 23.1. And the forward PE of small company stocks, small cap stocks, is 18.9. Typically, going back to 1985, small cap stocks have been more expensive than large company stocks. But now we're seeing small company stocks significantly less expensive than large company stocks. About two standard deviations, which is a statistical measure measuring how far an observation is relative to the average. So we're in a situation where the valuation for small cap relative to large cap is in a range where only about 3% of the time has it been this cheap for small cap relative to large cap. Now, if we look at different styles, what's interesting about that, in this case, we're looking at the earnings yield. So the earnings divided by the price over the past year. And the lower the earnings yield, the more expensive the stocks. Right now, large cap growth, the median earnings yield is 1.1% versus its average going back to the early 80s of 4.2%. So large cap growth stocks are very expensive. Large cap value stocks are also expensive. Their earnings yields are higher at 4.3%, but it's also below the median. Small cap growth stocks are expensive. Their earnings yields actually negative negative 2%, which means many, many small cap growth stocks have negative earnings. So we have a negative 2% earnings yield compared to the median going back to the early 80s of 2.5%. The only area of the market that's cheaper than its long-term median is small cap value stocks. 
The median earnings yield is 6.85% as of the end of 2021 compared to the long-term median of 6.3%. So we see then right now small cap value stocks are the cheapest segment of the market relative to large cap. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Now let's turn to some theory for why small cap may or may not outperform large cap over time. They've done historically, but as we've seen, not so much in the past decade or even the past 30 years or so. There's a formula called the capital asset pricing model. It was developed in the 60s by William Sharp, Jack Trainer, John Lintner, and Jan Mawson. They were working independently, and they were doing work based on the work of Harry Markowitz on diversification and modern portfolio theory. This capital asset pricing model is used to figure out what a security or an asset's expected return, and then the historical return can be compared to that expected return. And the formula is a security, let's say a specific stock, expected return equals the risk-free rate, so short-term treasury bonds, for example, plus the beta of the stock times the expected return of the market after backing out the risk-free rate. Now, the beta measures the volatility or relative volatility of that particular security relative to the market. And it's hard to describe because this is audio. But the takeaway is that stocks that are more volatile than the market, as measured by beta, should have a higher expected return. That's basically the capital asset pricing model. The higher the volatility, the higher the expected return. 
And then academics look for anomalies where securities have done better than what they should based on that capital asset pricing model. And these anomalies are called factors, persistent drivers of return. The most prominent factors are size, value, so stocks that are cheaper than the overall market do better than what they should do based on the capital asset pricing model. Momentum stocks, stocks whose price or earnings are growing quickly and have a trend of that growth do better. Profitability is another factor. And quality. Those have been some of the factors that, as academics test them, have shown to be persistent. But there are many, many others. I read one academic study, and it it pointed to other academic studies that showed that there were 300 different factors or anomalies that show that stocks do better, individual securities doing better than the capital asset pricing model. So many. But part of the challenge is they're all using the same data set. Most of these studies use data from 1963 going forward, mostly U.S. stocks, because that's the data available. Now, there have been more studies for non-U.S. stocks, and those factors also show up. But one of the risks is what is known as data dredging. It's reusing a data set over and over again and look for anomalies. This data has been worked so much to where they've come up with 300 plus anomalies. So I was particularly interested in a paper that was released this past November titled The Cross-Section of Stock Returns Before 1926 and Beyond. It was researched and written by three academics and practitioners based out of the Netherlands. They developed a separate database of 1,500 stocks and returns between 1866 and 1926. Then they started testing all the different factors to see which factors stood the test of time with this brand new data set. The ones that had the biggest impact, the factors that were most persistent, was value and momentum. Another one was quality. But what they found was the factors were more persistent and the outperformance was greater for value, momentum, quality, the smaller the company. And that has been found in other studies. One of the conclusions we can make is the small cap effect of outperforming over time is really a value effect. And it's a momentum effect because they found in their data that size didn't impact returns, that that was not a persistent factor. But we've seen that small cap has outperformed, but it's the value element and the momentum element that's leading to that outperformance. There's another study that I'll link to by research affiliates, and they found something similar, that the best performing strategies were those that combined some value and momentum. And the bigger the discount to the factor to its historical valuation, so when value is cheapest relative to the historical valuation of value stocks, and you see a reversal in a momentum aspect to value like we're seeing now, that's when the outperformance has been greatest. In conclusion, then, what do we do? Should we invest in small and mid-cap stocks? I think so. We should be aware of valuations and and when small cap stocks or mid cap stocks are cheaper relative to large, maybe we should invest more, make some new allocations. I believe the best way to invest, though, in small and mid cap stocks is to focus on value strategies and momentum strategies. The factors that have worked the best and seem to work even better in the small to mid cap round. 
with these allocations, we have to be patient. We've seen these periods of outperformance and underperformance of small cap can last a long time. The current period of small cap underperformance has been going on since 2011. The longest period of underperformance for small cap was from 1946 to 1958, so 12 years. Some of the other cycles are certainly shorter than that. It can be challenging, though, to switch strategies after an extended period of outperformance. It raises the question that these members are asking, will small and mid-cap ever start outperforming again? I think it will, but it will primarily be value and momentum strategy. Back in the mid to late 90s was a period of significant outperformance of large cap stocks versus small. So we're allocating, we're overweighting to small cap. It's hurting performance. The same time, we started doing more indexing or passive investing because the active managers were doing terrible against the S&P 500 index. And clients wanted to invest in the S&P 500 index. And I, I was uncomfortable allocating to an index that was so expensive. Sort of in the same way, I'm uncomfortable investing in the S&P 500 today. So what I did with a number of clients is we agreed to terminate their active large cap managers, but we allocated 80% to the S&P 500 and 20% to the mid-cap S&P 400. That strategy did incredibly well. Because large cap, the big cap stocks sold off and mid cap started doing very well for about 10 years. And so having both was very helpful for these clients because of the way we had structured the capitalization, but they were also passive. The strategies combined were doing better than all the active managers, even though Active large cap managers tend to do better when mid cap is doing better because they typically have a smaller average market cap than large cap stocks. So yes, we should invest in small and mid cap stocks. Focusing on value and momentum strategy shouldn't be a huge portion of our portfolio, but we should at least recognize that it's 10 to 15% of the overall market capitalization of the global stock market and have an allocation. Maybe in a period after extended underperformance, it makes sense to overweight small and mid-cap stocks. It's certainly how we're positioned now in the Money for the Rest of Us Plus model portfolio examples, and it's how I'm positioned in my personal portfolio. Hasn't worked out so well the last couple of years, but we have to be patient investors and recognize that cycles eventually change. And there's nothing that I could find in the academic literature to suggest that large company stocks will continue to outperform small company and mid cap stocks because large caps are so much more expensive than they have been relative to small cap, particularly small cap value. That then is episode 370. I'd like to help you become a better investor. Certainly the free podcast helps with that. But have you subscribed to my email newsletter? It's where I share an essay on money investing in the economy each week to that list of thousands of email subscribers. I put a great deal of thought and time into that newsletter, and I would love you to be able to read it and learn from it. You can sign up for the Insider's Guide newsletter at moneyfortherestofus.com.
Another way I would love to help you become a better investor is by you becoming a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. This is the premier investment education platform that's been operating for almost seven years now. Plus membership gives members the tools and resources they need to manage their investment portfolios. Not only can you tap into my more than two decades of investment experience, look at my portfolio trades, but my research is backed by top-tier institutional research partners such as Ned Davis Research, Capital Economics, MSCI, Refinitiv Data Stream. I curate the most important content and lessons to help you make better portfolio decisions. You'll also access a community of over 1,000 members to get their insights. Money for the Rest of Us Plus is a bargain compared to a college credit or subscribing to institutional research services that cost tens of thousands of dollars per year or even hiring a financial advisor. You can learn more at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.